Canucks Central Wednesday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? The Canucks get another win, and it concludes the first half of the regular season. They are through 41 games 27 wins, 11 losses, three overtime losses. That's 57 points. They have the best goal difference in the league. And they are number one in the Pacific Division by six points on the Vegas Golden Knights, who have one game in hand. So even with a win, it would be a four-point gap between the Canucks and Golden Knights. A 10-point gap between them and the L.A. Kings, who have four games in hand. This is uh, as wild as it gets for the Vancouver Canucks through the first 41. Uh, A start you could only dream of. Yes. And, I mean, on pace to have uh, as good a season as they've ever had. I mean, very similar to uh, what they were doing in 2011. So when you're talking about having as good a a first half as they've ever had in franchise history, I don't think you can ask for much more than what you've seen so far. And... I think we, we're getting to a point where it's been really hard, Dan, to like pick holes at this team. Yes. And pick reasons for like why this team uh, may not be as good as it looks or, or may not be able to continue doing what they're doing. Like It's getting really difficult to argue against them. Yes. Incredibly difficult to argue against them. I mean, the Canucks are now... Okay. So, early in the season, you remember when uh, the Canucks were Money Puck's best odds to win the Cup? In like early October, and, and we laughed. Yeah, it was laughed. like it was like this funny little tidbit <laughs> that we could all like have a joke about. Like, look, Canucks are favorites to win the cup, and now we're at the halfway mark. And guess what? The Canucks are favorites to win the cup at Money Cup. Now it's eleven point six percent. What does it actually mean? Mm. Whatever it means. I don't think it's got a huge meaning to it, but it holds a lot more weight 41 games into the season than it did 12 or 15 games into the season. Vancouver's been not only like continued to play well as the season's gone on, Sat, but as we've talked about, like they're getting better. In this trip through New York, they've played some of their best hockey. Mm-hmm. They dominated the Devils way more than the 6-4 scoreline suggested. They probably could have put up 10 if it wasn't for the Devils actually getting some pretty decent yeah. goaltending on the day from Nico Dawes. They defend well, among the best in the league, defending against the rush and conceding very few odd man rushes. They score better than anyone. They don't rely on their power play as much as they did early in the season. Like, what's not to like about this team right now? It feels like a lot of the hesitation around believing in the team as a true cup contender is based more in our preconceived notions of what this team was supposed to be rather than what this team is actually shown to be through 41 games. Yeah. And I think in terms of like what they are as a team through 41 games, you can actually say one of their biggest issues right now is a power play. Yeah. And how concerned are you about the power play big picture? Not all that concerned. So if that's what we're pointing to and say, hey, like that's the one thing that right now is is, is somewhat concerning because the first um, seventeen games it was terrific. The past, you know, twenty four, it's been kind of erratic, yeah, inconsistent. To be kind about the power play, right? And recently, there's, there's been fewer opportunities, and in those opportunities, they have not looked very dynamic. 
But that's pretty much the only sore spot you can point to. And it's not a spot where you're like, man, they don't have the personnel to have a good power play. They have all the personnel you'd ever want to have a good power play. So they'll be fine in terms of that turning around at some point here. It's a power play that, you know, boasts, again, (laughs) four of the league's best scorers, right? You have Hughes, you have Besser, who's among the league-leading goal scorers, and then there's Pedersen and and Miller, both over 50 points for the year. I mean, that's absolutely one of the the storylines. We knew the top end of this team was pretty good, but they have been the ones that really have gotten the engine going. The stars yeah. have been the stars from day one of the season. Well, and right now, I think we're seeing right at the midway point of the season, and we were joking about this, like a, a Pokemon evolving. Or, yes. You know, but like they are evolving. Like, Which Pokemon they are, that's that's up to you. I don't know. I called it Squirtle yesterday. Yeah. I'm not and, sure why. Maybe because it's a water Pokemon. I think somebody somebody texted in and said, you're right, because it turns out to be Wartortle or something like that, <laughs> yes. or Wartle. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know these things. I'm just yes. saying, you know. Um, but... Like they're taking a step and becoming something even greater than they were before. So when we were worried about, okay, to your point earlier this season, riding some percentages potentially, and you know some things are going their way, and yes, they're getting to spots and everything, but you know pucks are going in for them. They're creating their own luck, but pucks are going in for them. The goals are scoring right now. Like they're just they're undressing the opponent. Like yeah. they're 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 walking pucks into the net. Like they're scoring from as dangerous an area as you want, and they're getting it coming off their staples, winning battles in their own zone. I mean. How's that not sustainable in terms of being effective and dangerous as a hockey team? Maybe this is the hottest you'll be in terms of scoring goals, and maybe that'll get you know smoothed out a little bit. But are we talking about a dip from being the the highest scoring team to like the twenty fifth highest scoring team? Yeah, they'll probably go down on like sixth, maybe seventh, maybe or something. Like they're still like a top ten offense in the league, no doubt about it. Yeah, it's it's an offense that you know again star players. You got four guys among the league leading scorers. That's not something that is likely no. to change the way things are going. Yeah, maybe Besser's scoring ta- tails off a little bit, but Pedersen had over 100 points last year. Miller has been a point-per-game player ever since he got to Vancouver. He's a top-10 scorer in the league since he became a Vancouver Canuck, and Quinn Hughes is the most offensively dynamic defenseman in the NHL this season. Yeah. Now, of course, you know, would you debate Kale McCarr versus Quinn Hughes? Sure, but I'm saying this season, there's been nobody better at driving offense than Quinn Hughes has been. It's like there's really few holes on this team. And you talk about the stars. Of course, the stars have done a ton to to lead the way. And, and I mean, like it's you, you, it's a different there here you see a difference between just being a good point per game player. And then having an astronomical season, having three guys do it at the same yes. time, it just lifts everybody. When when guys have three players having fifty points at the midway mark, you're you're talking about like uh, the the Penguins of like the early nineties, yeah. a team that used to do that. Um, you think about even the Ottawa Senators, I guess, in in '06 when they had Heatley and and Spezza and and Alfredson all yeah. going at the same time. But there's not a lot of teams that sort of boast this kind of offensive. Uh, depth at the top of their lineup. You know, the Oilers this year, they they have it a little bit. Last year, they had it a little bit with Ryan Nugent Hopkins getting to 100 points as well. But, you know, generally it's it's been McDavid and Dreisaitl that stir the drink there. Everybody's got a couple of guys. This Canucks team right now has four, and that puts them in a elite class of the NHL. And beyond that, it's been – the buy-in of the team. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that's such a cliche term in the NHL, but think of how far they've come 
in the 12 months, which later this month, it'll be officially one year that Rick Tockett's been on the job. I mean, the, the amount of buy-in he's gotten in this time is pretty, pretty incredible. And that's the, that's the big, biggest difference maker when you look at great NHL teams yes. is the program they have. And it goes above just the coaching staff. It's having a strong management team, having um, all the pieces in place to have stability. And the Canucks have that. Now they have a coach who is an excellent communicator and he means what he says mm-hmm. and he says what he means. He doesn't lie to us in the media. Like I've, and I've come to learn this. You know, I've, I've questioned sometimes, like, oh, does he really mean this? Like, come on. Yeah. And then he does it. Like, they're rotating the D-men. Yeah. You know, like, well, maybe we'll do a rotation. Maybe we'll like, give guys some maintenance days. And then, like, he actually pulls through with it. You know, coaches say that oftentimes, but then won't go through with it. Um, now, obviously, they have a good record, so they can do things like that. But, like, he's he's very honest and open with us. But then when it comes to the players and how he communicates with them, and one of the things he mentioned the other night, and I just thought it was, it was uh, such a great point to make, about you can be selfish within a team environment, but when you're playing, like you celebrate your teammates' wins. You celebrate yes. the moments, right? And there is a place, even after a victory, once the game is done, for you to come into my office and say, hey, I deserve more, or I think I deserve to do this, or I want to get this opportunity. Why would like, you, you take me off the power play, whatever it might be? You can have that discussion even after a victory, yeah. but be there with your guys when you're winning. And, and to be able to get people to buy into that but then also give them the, the freedom to express themselves and you know gre- you know express their gr- grievances even i think that's a really powerful thing for any work environment and that way i think you do a really good job in general of removing any um i'd say disdain anybody would have from one another over you know what's going on with the team because then you feel like, hey, at least I'm part of the team's success, and I yeah. can talk to this guy about things I, I want to do to do differently. And I just think that's another example of how far this team has come, and how the head coaches and the rest of the coaching staff, of course, have got these guys to buy in. I look at, and and this is, um, I think one of the reasons the Canucks have been as good as they are this year. You know, we've always known this team to have talent. But can you buy in in every area of the ice? Can you get every player to buy in to this team ethos, into the team identity, what it means to be a Vancouver Canuck and stick to the staples and what the pillars are of being a Vancouver Canuck? And I know, you know, uh, Murph had it on uh, the the chat that Rick Tockett had with uh, Kate Pedersen in one of the intermissions where he's explaining some of mm-hmm. the staples, but. I think we're at a point because the cap has been stagnant for so long that the gap, the talent gap disparity between a lot of these teams is just not what it used to be in Mm -hmm. the NHL. We haven't seen as much variance there. You know, I could easily see Buffalo or Ottawa, like there's a ton of talent on those teams and they stink right now. Yeah. But. Could I see those teams making a somewhat quick turnaround similar to what the Canucks have if they finally start getting players to buy in and understand what it takes to win at the NHL level? I think so. The Canucks are that example where the talent disparity between them and some other teams in the past wasn't so great, but the way they played was chasms the size of the grand canyon and the way they were playing with bruce boudreau compared to how you need to play winning hockey in today's game and i think that's the gap they've bridged 
as much as, you know, finally getting some complimentary players to go with their top end guys. It's been about that buy-in because, I mean, you just look at the way they're playing games right now. Look at the way they beat the Islanders last night. They gave them nothing. You know, you're playing the second half of a back-to-back, and this Islanders, they barely got a sniff last night. They had them in their back pocket the whole game. And I was re-watching the game today, and I was just kind of laughing at a few sequences, just about, like, the Canucks pressed when they needed to, Yeah. but then they never really relinquished any control over the game. Sure, Barzal on that line had some moments. Great players are going to do great things, and, and that's going to happen, of course. Brock Nelson's an absolute monster to deal with, and he's going to make life miserable for anybody he goes up against, and those things did happen at times, right? But overall, the Canucks were not bothered at all by the Islanders. And, you know, to your point about the the Sabres and other teams, you have to go through some losing at some point, but you also have to be able to build some habits at some point along the way to get to the stage where you can have some success. The Canucks have done that, and they've had some moments, right? Like, they had some stop and starts in between, so there were remnants of of something there. Like That's why at many points last year when we were having these discussions, I I kept saying I refuse to believe these guys are incapable of playing the proper way. Like, we're not talking about players who haven't shown the ability of doing some of these things in the past. Like, we're not talking about players that don't understand what keeping the stick in the right lane means. Like, like, who, who are we kidding here? Like, these are NHL players. They know all these things. It comes down to just buying into it again, right? And and getting uncomfortable to some degree. Having right? Changing real habits. accountability around the team as well. Exactly. And now we're seeing that. And so the players have gone supernova, right? And when they do that, it's, it's next level. And then you have the buy-in, and that's a real powerful thing, especially with how all these players have embraced their roles. On the fourth line, the guys on the third pair, you have a guy like Noah Juleson who's your seventh defenseman. You, you developed him along the way. He has a clear... Like, when he plays, he has a PK role. Like everybody yeah. on this roster has a role now, except for, well, even Kuzmenko, who's on the first unit power play. It's kind of funny because Hoaglander is maybe the one who really yeah. doesn't, but he's been so prolific in his role in terms of being on the fourth line and running that line that, hey, you're happy doing that. But there's really nobody that doesn't have a distinct role on this team. And when you have players in designed roles taking ownership of that and having success, yeah. well, that, that's growing to growing into a pretty powerful thing for, thing for this group. We talked about it when uh, when Jim Rutherford was was hired, but... You know, you hired Jim Rutherford to sort of build out a program for your organization. And it seems like he's started to do that. You know, I think about the news today of, of Pete Carroll leaving the Seattle Seahawks, my beloved Seattle Seahawks. and <laughs> Long-time fan. Long-time fan. He's the only coach I've ever known as a, as a Seahawks fan, Pete Carroll. And, I, like, yeah, he, does he have flaws as a coach? Sure, but he built out a program, and they had yeah. consistent success for a lot of years living and sticking to that program you see it with Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers you see it with the Bruins here in the NHL no matter which player it is they're losing they stick to who they are as the Bruins and they decide their roster choices by that they Mm -hmm. practice that way they have players that uphold those standards and you lose Patrice Bergeron guess what you're still able to move along and not miss too much of a beat along the way. You lose Zidane Chara, you don't miss too much of a beat along the way because you've built out this program that players believe in and they buy into when they go there. And it feels like the Canucks have started to do that themselves 
in this organization since Jim Rutherford came in. Yeah, and it's gotten to a point now where before the show, like you're sitting there going, like I don't know, man, maybe they shouldn't mess with the chemistry too much. Like you know, they have the buy-in, you have all these guys succeeding. Like, should you maybe not tinker too much ahead of the trade deadline? Well, how much would you want to tinker with this roster? I mean, they've been so good. Yeah. Again, you know, they lead the league in scoring. They play well <laughs> defensively. They've got a great goalie. Hundred percent. I understand there are places that you can make yeah. improvements on the roster. But I don't know how much I'd want to stretch to make those improvements mm. unless it's a player I'm really keen on. Like, I don't know if they've got to make too many depth improvements to this roster. Agree with that. Like, I'm not sure you really need to go out there and like, now, now can you go out and get, grab another, say, defenseman who's a 7-8 defenseman? Sure, right? Like, you you know, in terms of Teams depth. Teams could always use something like that. Right, yes. sure, of course. But... Um, I'm not quite sure I'm really looking at them adding a fourth liner. Yeah. You know, or third liner or anything along those lines, really. Like that's not really what I'm looking at for where the Canucks are going. So when it comes to adding a bigger piece and maybe tinkering with the roster, I'm probably less reluctant than than most in this situation. I'd yeah. be I'd be willing to do a few different things. Cause I think as much as yes, you don't want to mess with things too much, I get that. You also have a unique opportunity with your star players being as good as they are at the same time this year, and with with you having a star goalie too, and the defense being as improved as it has been. That if you do make one or two moves, like we were, we were kind of joking about uh, on defense, we were talking about this, saying like if they somehow actually found a way to get Tanev, and let's say they flipped Zadorov or Myers, yeah, and let's say they actually got a a top six forward, whether that's a, a winger who can, who can score or a guy who can play center and play wing. What's what's stopping them from being a legitimate, like, surefire cup favorite? That is what's in the way, I think, of them truly joining the elites of the league, potentially. Both of those things or one of those things? Both of those things. But even one of those things could could get you there. But Like we I, talked about yesterday. I'm really curious. Like, I just... Like, I don't know if there's that many players out there that fit that bill. Like, Elias Lindholm right now, there's a lot of people talking yeah. about him. He'd be a great second-line center. Sure. Like, he's also not played at all well this year for the Calgary Flames. No, I'm not as concerned about his game this year. I think if he comes over, I think he, he's got quality that I think he, you can overcome his current form at some point. Right. The thing is, is he a guy you're going to be committing to? He's 30 years old. Like, if you're giving up all the assets it's going to take to get him, yeah. is it just for one or done? Because as much as I think you have to be aggressive, I'm not team, let's trade first-round picks and our top prospects for rentals. And and honestly, like, I don't even think you have to trade like Karamaki or Will Ander to do the things you want to do this year. I think those two guys are the only pieces I, I don't touch. Like, those, I'm, like, I'm not moving Those like are Karamaki. the future pieces you're not interested in moving. Yeah, you can talk me into the rest. You really can't. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, we're going to have Josh Yowie on a little bit later. We'll talk about Jake Gensel there. I think Jake Gensel makes a lot of sense. Same issue, though. Are you spending the asset it takes to get that player and then committing on a long-term contract for that player? You know, like things aren't always as plug-and-play as they may seem. And maybe the best example might be the other Pacific Division team that is – not having a great time right now. They have demoted their big off-season acquisition yeah. to the fourth line. And he was sort of littered with a lot of question marks when they acquired him. But Pierre-Luc Dubois, 
you know, it seemed like a great fit for the LA Kings. Now who's going to beat that? Like they've got Kopitar yeah. and Deneau and Dubois, and who's going to be able to beat those top three centers? Well, like I, I had major question marks about Dubois given I'll cite his character issues because of his track record through his NHL career, essentially giving up on playing in Columbus, not wanting to do the work with the Winnipeg Jets. It seems like he only shows up when maybe a contract is on the line or when it seems something is there to benefit him. Mm -hmm. Now they've given him the bag. They've spent the assets it takes to get him. And now he's a fourth liner with the LA Kings. That's an issue. And that's something you want to avoid, obviously, if you're the Vancouver Canucks, but you know, it, I think acquiring a talented player, and this is one thing this organization has done really well so far, see Philip Ronick and others. Like it's not just about the talent of the player, it's also about the fit of the player. And it's something we've talked about with Jim Rutherford. Yeah, you have to get a guy that fits into how they want to play and also where where your team has some shortcomings. But they've also shown that they like guys that play that have versatility, can play multiple positions. Yeah. And if I'm looking around, you know, I know Bick's been talking about Casey Middlestad a lot. You know, he's a guy that is Buffalo going to sign him or not. He's a young player. He would fit here long term, even if it costs you a lot, but can play center, can play wing on their first unit power play. He's the Buffalo Sabres leading scorer. So it's not going to be cheap, but you're talking about like higher level depth, right? Because even Jim Rutherford himself has pretty much said he's open to adding that type of depth because they need the type of depth that if you're losing Patterson for a few weeks or you lose JT for a few weeks, you can overcome that. Yeah, And you don't overcome that by having third or fourth lines. You overcome that by having another high-end guy that can offset you know, the forum issues from time to time and the injuries from time to time. And that's the type of depth that you want to add. Martin Eckhash, we mentioned with Carolina. Yeah. He's an RFA at the end of the season. He can play in multiple positions, has a little bit of size. Uh, might be kind of uh, at his low point a little bit, minus 13 this year with Carolina. His ice time's down a bit from where he was last season. Like, you have to look at players that are somewhat distressed or their years aren't going the way you would imagine they're going, and they have reasons, like, say, their RFA at the end of the year. Yep. The team may have to make decisions on their contracts, kind of like Philip Peronic, somewhat similar. Those are the types of situations that you have to look at because those are the ones that something shakes open from. I, I look at a lot of the trade bait lists. I look at the, the trade targets lists, whatever you want to call them. There's really not too many players that stand out on those lists. Yeah, I think it's got, like, if, if the Canucks are acquiring somebody, they've got to be a top-end player, a definite top-six player, and it's probably not a name that is obvious in the trade deadline acquisition scenario. Maybe Jake Gensel is the only one I can I could truly get behind but again I have questions about giving that player the contract it's going to take to keep them beyond that but it's it's not as easy as as plug and play because I think there's not a lot I want to tinker with on this roster and I think there's only the top end like, player that I'm all that interested for in. instance yeah like for instance are you worried if because uh, right now they have Oman playing well, they have PDG when he comes in. Like, there, like, there's a I spot I don't want to open. get a fourth liner that's going to replace Oman. I want a player that's going to move some, like move Pew Suter back to playing that that type of a role. I agree. But if you're going to go out and get that guy, right, um, are you are you unwilling to move a Kuzmenko if you had to in the process to do so? I are, are you <laughs> that afraid of moving a Hoaglander for you to get the type of guy we're talking about, for instance? like you got to make a tough decision somewhere. Like I'm yeah. not afraid of doing those things. I think when you have your stars being what they are, you can you can add somebody else that's higher end into that mix. Yeah, 
I, I just think the opportunity just would be too good to pass up if you can if you can do that. And it's easier said than done. I'm not as big on the rentals if you're trading away, you know, your your prospects and stuff like that. But yeah. I think it's a very difficult conversation because um, some of the rentals, the cost is going to be prohibitive. Yeah. And if I'm paying a high cost, like, you know, Jay mentions Joel Erickson. Like, I'm not even sure if, if Minnesota would do that, but sure, he's a guy that you'd be willing to pay a little extra for. Like, I, I'll pay a, a heavy price. He's also signed forever as well. Yeah. So it's. But hey, he can play for you long term. Good two way player. For the right player, I think the price is less prohibitive for me, but it's more about how does it fit into the next three years for this team? Because I think that's kind of the window you're working with, with Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demko uh, signed in that time frame. Uh, all right. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Kevin Woodley is going to join us next on Canuck Central. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back in on Canuck Central, it's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Let's bring in our next guest. He's our goalie guru. He joins us every Wednesday. It's Kevin Wood- Kevin Woodley in Goal Magazine and NHL.com, and he is a presentation of White Rock Hyundai. Thanks for this, Woodley. How are you? I'm good. Did I tell you guys that uh, I did my first road trip in the EV? I'm, I'm, I'm fully adept now, all the way down to the Winter Classic and back, and no problems to report. So I'm no longer just a commuter. I've fully embraced the EV life. I'm loving it. Oh, wow. So you got good mileage out of that. Yeah. it's uh, Yeah. You know, I'll be honest. Like, I think a lot of people, when they, you know, remote charging and stuff like that, honestly, plug it in with the low, the low voltage one at the hotel is more than enough to get me all the way home. That's, uh, well, it's good to know. Might uh, inform my decision of a next uh, vehicle purchase in in the future. But as uh, we uh, we get into this new year and we see the Canucks hitting the halfway point of the season, uh, and Sat and I were just kind of discussing. They've played so well. The Canucks have. They are seemingly evolving as the season goes on a little bit. Where do you think this team can get better as we get closer to the trade deadline and into the second half of the year? Ooh, that's a good question. And never thought this would be the answer, especially right. early in the season, but a little more consistency out of the power play right now, right? And and at the end of the day, as well as they've played through the first half of the year, like it's always going to be sort of snapshots of moments of things that need to improve. Um, you know, the other thing is their goaltender, their number one goaltender is capable of more than he's given on the balance of the last six weeks. Like since December 1st, his numbers – you are down from the first six weeks of the season. And as much as we talked about um, that first six weeks being unsustainably good, like just no one in the history of the game has gone through a season like that, certainly finding a way, as much as you want to talk about getting the power play on track, finding a way to make sure that when the season is winding down, he's ramping back up to that form would be another one of the priorities. In terms of how the Canucks are playing as a team, like has the environment been suitable for him to be able to regain and be able to do that? Yeah, they're still they're still playing. Well, listen, <clears throat> they're still playing really good 
defensive hockey, right? Like mm-hmm. there, I thought there were times, interestingly enough, uh, in in New York, despite the dominance, and maybe it's because of some of the lopsided scores and the dominance, um, where there were a few more turnovers in areas that led to rush chances. Uh, the kind of thing, like that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest area they've improved on. As much as I talk about them being, you know, top five last I checked, fourth in the league. Uh, in terms of five-on-five, high-danger expected goals against, and, and as key as that as a metric is for, especially when we look at predicting playoff success uh, and goaltender success, most of it is driven by improvements in what they give up off the rush. And so when you see in you know spurts and moments, they start to you know maybe, I don't want to say get too creative, because we all love to see it, especially with the lotto line reunited, but at times maybe try and force the odd play offensively through the middle of the ice and lead to some of the odd man rushes. Like that's how offense is created in this league. Like it's no coincidence, for example, that the Edmonton Oilers, you know, couldn't beat anyone and were bottom three in the league in terms of high danger rush chances against at that period of time. And now they're wagon. They can't lose their, they look like they could actually chase, you know, maybe not the Canucks near the top, but like they're going to get into this top three in the Pacific and maybe they do push the Canucks. And the biggest change is they no longer give up rush. They've gone from one of the worst teams in the league, high danger rush chances against, to one of the best since the coaching change. Last I checked, they were second. Like, this is where you get easy offense in the NHL, and the teams that don't give it up are the teams that tend to have success. So that's, you know, that's one trend where I think on the whole, they've still been good, but there's been a few more of those moments. And I think when you start more games – as Thatcher does compared to Casey DeSmith, you're more likely to be in the ones where that gets a little loose. And we see that in some of the numbers as well. Like Thatcher's expected save percentage is 11 points lower than Casey DeSmith. And a lot of people will be like, how the hell can that be? They play behind the same defense on the same team. But whether it's opponents or focus or you know, what games you get uh, or just luck, uh, that's definitely it, – it's not uncommon. We see even wider uh, sort of spreads around the league between starter and backup. Um, but in this case, it's actually favoring the backup compared to the starter. Well, one of the things about Demko's recent play, and I, I mean super recent play, like the the last two starts, the Rangers and, and the Devils. The Devils won. You know, he made a couple of big saves. Um, didn't have a ton of work, but the Devils. Uh, it seemed like all the goals they scored were from distance, right? You, you had the three point shot goals essentially, and even even the Rangers goals. You know, Trocek beats him uh, clean from the left wing. Panarin beats him uh, on a wrist shot clean as well. Uh, it's he's made big saves while doing this, but it, it just it, it seemed as though some of the goals he's let in have been uh, not ones I expect Thatcher to let in. Well, I think the Jersey one. There's a couple of reasons, uh, not excuses, but like it's interesting. I thought those would both show up. The ones you mentioned as as low danger attempts. And they both ended up mid. I think there was traffic involved in the first one. And actually, because I covered that game remotely, um, I know they switched the Brandon Smith goal to, I can't remember who now, but there was a change to a deflection. So somebody got a piece of that on the way in the one that goes high blocker. And listen, we've talked about you know deflections and traffic and you know luck to an extent as amidst all this discussion about PDO for the Vancouver Canucks. Other teams are going to get it too. And I chalked the jersey one a little bit up to that. Rangers, um, hey, it's Trocek. He hit his spot from close range. Panarin had the back door. But those both go down as low-danger goals because there is no traffic. It's a straight, clear-sighted shot, and you got beat. Um, 
I think the one that maybe points to some signs of some teams targeting different things, and this will happen when you have success around the league and over an extended period of time, and typically in the second half of the season, as teams start to dial in and pay more attention to that pre-scout that their goalie coach throws up on the board, you'll see teams go after potential tendencies. And the one in the Rangers game that maybe exacerbates, didn't hurt them on the scoreboard, but exacerbates how we view the Trocheck goal, and to a lesser extent to me, the Panarin goal, because you could see he was reading pass and shallowed out, flattened out his backside and that, that exposed short side high, um, thinking Panarin was going to pass. Um, but it's, it's the Kreider one that goes off the glove and goes over the net, right? Again, shot from distance, you expect him to handle clean. And, you know, I, I do think this is twofold. Um, one, rebound second chances in around the net, he's the best goalie in the league right now. Like that's where all the success he's having, you know, second in the NHL right now in terms of goal saved above expected, uh, that incredible start. Like there are a few goalies in the NHL who are better, especially along the ice in tight um, on bang, bang chances, rebounds and second chances in tight. Uh, even if it involves a lateral play, like that's where he's exceptional, where you're starting to see exposure a little bit and, and exposure is probably too harsh a word, but comparatively, is on some of these longer-range shots, and you're seeing teams try and quick-shot him a little bit, I think trying to maybe, maybe target some of the stance things that they do here uniquely in Vancouver. We've talked a lot about the narrow stance and the short, quick movements when plays at the perimeter. Well, um, there have been times where adjusting from that tall, narrow stance that makes him so mobile into a save stance you can get caught in between the two on a release. You can get caught transition. It's a bigger transition if you don't hit your midpoint of the three stances, sort of high, medium, and, and low, full save set stance. And if you get caught going from high right into a save stance, that's a big adjustment. That's a big movement. Your head is coming down. Your body is coming down. And you can end up playing catch up with the hands upstairs. So um, that's if nothing else, it's something worth keeping an eye on was because it seemed like we saw teams maybe looking at that, looking for that. Uh, I definitely noticed and, and noted this at the, you know, where did all the goals in New Jersey go mm-hmm. in blocker side. And, uh, you know, I thought early in his career, that was sort of a book that was starting to develop, you know, target the blocker. And I think a lot of it, again, just like get shots from a distance because he's so damn good in tight. Um, is, is a function of what he's good at. Like, I, I think that book started because his glove was so good. But I looked up the numbers, and from a save percentage basis, uh, high blocker is better than high glove on the season. Uh, low blocker and low glove are, are roughly similar. Like, in terms of high danger chances against, in terms of all chances against, um, you know, he's, he's, is he as good up top as he's along the ice? No. But part of that is, again, how range he has with those legs but also it's probably true of every goalie around the league like we, we know how to score on butterfly goalies and every goalie in the national hockey league is in fact a butterfly goaltender that is the predominant save selection so there's just variations in terms of how they get there and how patiently how patient they are before they go down um i i don't see the blocker as something people you know that was just one game to me and if they are targeting it fine because the numbers say he's actually better there than the glove at least so far this season so you know, I don't think it's anything to worry about. Uh, I think it's more just another example of, you know, small samples. We see certain things and maybe something you keep an eye on the rest of the way. To me, the bigger thing is 
over the course of the next couple of months, can you get him closer to the level he was playing at at the start of the season than what we've seen over the past six weeks? Because, you know, the, the adjusted numbers over the past six weeks, rather than being near the top of the league, you know, they're closer to mid-pack in the 30s. You know, you know Casey DeSmith is near the top of the league since December 1st, and Thatcher's quite a, way, quite a ways further down. And again, some of that is shot quality he's facing, uh, but some of it is, is just, you know, the way he's playing compared to Casey, who's been excellent. Well, Casey, you mentioned Casey the Smith. He has been excellent. And you mentioned those goals uh, against above expected. Well, what's the environment like? Because, I mean, last night the Canucks against the Islanders gave the Islanders next to nothing, it seemed like, at least when we were watching the game. Uh, and that's, it seems like a pretty common phrase that the Canucks play really well defensively when they have Casey the Smith in goal as well. Yeah, no, for sure. And as I said, like, there's an 11 point swing. Um, in terms of environment, like Casey's expected save percentage is, is 11 points better, 11 points easier. It's one of the highest in the National Hockey League, in fact. And, you know, Thatcher's right around league average. And, out, and, and again, that's why you look at them with matching 916s, but Thatcher's actually outplaying him on the season um, by, by 10%. Uh, you know, relative to that environment, even though they have matching 916s, um, Casey's 901 expected is the fourth highest in the league. They've played really well in front of Casey DeSmith this year. Um, what I think is, is worth noting, like I said, sort of if you break the season up into segments, like first six weeks, say last six weeks, not quite six weeks, but say December 1st, um, you know, Casey's, uh, Casey's not, not only is the environment still good, but he's outperforming it by a, a significant margin after being sort of, you know, closer to um, expected at the start of the year, even though he was winning and having success. You know, he's now, since December 1st, has the fourth best adjusted save percentage in the entire National Hockey League. Only Jacob Markstrom, Joey Decord, and Loren Brassois, interestingly enough, are better than him. So, um, you know, yes, the environment's been better, but Casey, on the season, not as much. In the last five, six weeks, outperforming it by a wider margin than, than even Patrick Demko. And a lot of goalies, frankly, around the entire league. It's impressive. So uh, I'm curious um, what you think about the Vesna Trophy uh, discussion here as we reach the midway point of the season then because, you know, we've talked about Demko as uh, potentially the guy that's going to be in that conversation. doesn't feel like uh, he should be out of that conversation, but uh, who else are the names uh, in and around the Vesna candidacy for this year. Yeah, no, I mean, Thatcher's still, you know, if not on top of this conversation, I think most people probably still have him on top, but he's definitely at the top. Um, from a, you know, peer numbers goal saved above expected standpoint, there's only one guy in the league who's better. And I think it actually might surprise some people to hear who it is. It's Jacob Markstrom. Um, raw numbers won't tell you that because that environment has softened considerably. I was of the belief that you would retain some of the defensive DNA that comes with having played for Daryl Sutter for a number of years and that they would benefit from opening things up elsewhere. Um, but that hasn't been the case. Uh, we talk about environments and expected save percentage. Jacob Markstrom's is one of the lowest, and he's outperforming it by by a, a significant margin. And just in this past week, he actually passed Thatcher Demko. I don't think the results in Calgary will be enough. That I don't even know if Jacob's a finalist because um, not enough voting GMs have access to this information. So the other guys in that conversation, Ilya Sorokin, although we saw last night, um, you know, consistency is an issue everywhere, right? Uh, Linus Ulmark, 
but he goes out with injury last night. He'd worked himself up despite playing significantly less in more of a pure job share uh, with Jeremy Swayman. He'd worked himself up to within a goal and a half of Demko and Markstrom, uh, atop the league in goals saved above expected. He is proving that last year was not a fluke. The only problem is he was in a job share to start, and now he's out with injury. So depending on how long he's out, um, this conversation could shift. And, of course, the guy who he's actually seventh in the league in, in terms of goals saved above expected by Clearside Analytics, but going to get a lot of love because he's won it once already, and the GMs like to go back to uh, a repeat winner. And, man, when you talk about consistency, when you talk about outperforming expectations in terms of narratives rather than expected save percentages and goals, uh, Connor Hellebuck. And he's on a, you know, as a team, they're on a heater. I just mentioned Lorenzo Bersois has got one of the best adjusted save percentages in the league since December 1st. Uh, they haven't, what, lost in regulation in 12 or 13. They're 29 or 30 games now where they've held opponents to three goals or left. Like, that's going to get a lot of attention. And so even if the numbers don't say he's a slam dunk winner, uh, I think the history and the attention in terms of the way they're playing and the success they're having, much like the Canucks, will have him in this conversation and it'll probably be on Demko to, you know, frankly, heat up a little bit and get mm-hmm. closer to how he was early in the season to stay ahead of Connor Hellebuck in that conversation just because we know how GMs tend to vote traditionally. Yeah, and, and especially when it comes to uh, 32 uh, GMs making a call, the recency bias can play a, a large factor, especially if, even, if, even if it is a small number of GMs kind of being somewhat fooled by the end of the season. Uh, before we let you go, Canucks playing in Pittsburgh might be facing Tristan Jari uh, on Thursday against the Pens. What type of season is he putting together? Yeah, you know, um, statistically, and again, I, I, I'm not going to blow smoke and tell you I watch a ton of Penguins games, I could tell you. Um, you know, exactly why or, or what details are better than the other guys. But statistically on the year, um, they're catching a break if they get Tristan Jari instead of Alex Nedeljkovic. Uh, Ned has been, you know, especially in the last uh, month and a half, um, performing at a much higher level. Tristan's actually just above expected for the year, but a full percentage point below it since December 1st. And the Delkovich is well above it uh, since December 1st and, and top 10 in the National Hockey League on the season as a whole. Matter of fact, he's barely behind Thatcher Debko when it comes to adjusted save percentage. So there's a guy who spent last year in the American Hockey League. We talk about volatility in this position. Signs in Pittsburgh, handles the puck as well as anyone in the NHL, has scored twice in the American League, once in the ECHL, uh, and I would expect we'll do it. They're going to become the first tandem to score. Like, that's my my bold prediction for the year that uh, Jari, who's already got one this year, Nadelkovic will be the first tandem in NHL history to score a goal in the same season. So that would, you know, to be honest, that would be a bit of a break if they get the home, the hometown kid interest in Jari tomorrow night compared to just based on recent form, Alex Nadelkovic has been the better goaltender and uh, it would be on the Canucks to take advantage of, of getting what might not, most people might not realize is a break, but statistically speaking, definitely is a break. Woodley, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for this. Thanks, guys. Uh, there is Kevin Woodley joining us uh, weekly here on Canuck Central, and he is on Sports at 650, brought to you by White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George in White Rock or whiterockhyundai.com. As uh, you hear that, Tristan Jari maybe uh, has been the second-best goaltender for the 
Pittsburgh Penguins. It's always so interesting to talk to Woodley, and uh, you know he has uh, insight from ClearSight's analytics on what some of the proprietary data is saying. And just whenever we talk to him, I always take away how different the proprietary data data is from what the public data is. Yeah, it, there is a pretty big discrepancy. I mean, sometimes it's not as big, but like for instance, when you look at the New York Islanders and some yeah. people look at their proprietary data and it's really bad. And then you look at even like their expected goals against per 60, it's fifth worst by the pub- public data. So they're bottom five. So yeah. I mean, it's not like the, they're uh, the not public, very good. Yeah. The public data is not, not shining this very bright light on their defensive play, but the fact that they're significantly worse yeah. is, you know, it, it kind of shows you there is a discrepancy and it can be in terms of, what teams are trying to give up versus what they're not giving up. So the Canucks have pretty much eliminated rush chances against. So they're top two in the league. Yeah. So we don't give up rush chances, and the regular season is a rush chance league, right? I mean, good teams create off the rush, or teams that have success in a regular season oftentimes load up on the rush. But it's not as sustainable because come playoff time, it changes and all that sort of stuff. The two best areas to score are off the rush and off the forecheck. Yes. Forecheck, sustainable. Off the rush, not so much. Um, and I think when you look at how a lot of these teams are, are trying to play and where the Canucks find themselves, the fact that they've eliminated the, the rush chances more or less, that makes such a big difference. And their in-zone defending has been strong. Now, they give up certain things that they're willing to give up because like Talkett says, we're going to let make our goal the only play half the net. Yeah. And generally, they take away the backdoor play. Now, we saw it on the PK. It fell apart uh, last night, uh, or the other night against the Rangers. And it does happen from time to time. But generally speaking, they're not giving that up anymore. Yeah. So if you do that, take away rush chances, all of a sudden, your goaltender is seeing everything. And if your goalie sees everything, and you have a good, talented goaltender, well, they can make quite the difference for you. And also interesting to hear Woodley say, uh, as good as Demko has been on the over the course of the season... Maybe his play can be better than what we've seen over the last month and a bit. And I think we've seen some of that play out in the games against the New York Rangers. Although the game against the Rangers, he made so many big saves yeah. that I didn't really no, like. I wasn't. It didn't really about bother it. me so much that you know I, he could have had the Panarin goal or something like that. Yeah, no, there some he could have had, but he made so many big saves. You're right. You're not. You're not as concerned about it. But it's also about like as good as he's been. Yeah. The Canucks aren't reliant on their goalies being great. They that's, haven't. That's been probably as much. the bigger takeaway. You know, especially because I mean, you know we all agree Demko hasn't been at his best, but he's eight one and one in his last ten games. Yeah. You know, and that's a reflection that's of how the well switch teams management played. wanted to make. Remember the the comment after mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the Bruce Boudreau surge at the end of that season, and we rely too much on our goalie, and yeah. the Canucks haven't been as reliant on their goalie. This season, Scotiabank Hockey Day in Canada is taking place January 17th to the 20th in Victoria, B.C. 32 Thoughts will be recording a live show at Wicket Hall in downtown Victoria on Thursday, January 18th. The show starts at 2 o'clock and guests expected to join Jeff and Elliot include Kevin Bieksa and Brian Burke and other NHL alumni. Plus, the Stanley Cup will be there. The only way to attend is to win your way in and we're giving away tickets all week. And right now. Which caller are you doing? 
Are you going to do like, you know, 76 or 96 this time? You did 53 uh, no. last time. <laughs> yes, no, no, yesterday no. was 53. Well, I got an idea. Okay. Can I pitch an idea? Sure. What is the podcast called? What's the number that they call? Uh, the... 32 Thoughts. You want to do that? All right. Caller number 32. Oh, awesome. Josh is so mad. Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> but it's better than 53. 32 is fine. A 21 fewer than last time. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Caller number 32. We'll send you to the 32 Thoughts live edition. Live at Scotiabank Hockey Day in Canada. 604-280-0651-888-275-0650. Caller number 32. You're going to get the chance to go. Your next chance to win will be tomorrow on Canuck Central and also tomorrow morning with Halford and Bruff. You are listening to Sportsnet 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back in on Canuck Central, it's Dan Richo and Satyar Shower in the Kintech studio. This hour of Canuck Central brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com Canada for a smart demonstration. We will uh, get to some of your texts and questions coming up a little bit later on in this segment. So if you have some more, get them in 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Let's uh, bring in our next guest. It is Josh Yohe, Penguins beat writer for The Athletic. Thanks for this, Josh. I noticed on your uh, on your Twitter bio that you say replay challenges are killing sports. Apparently, Connor McDavid agrees. <laughs> I, I did see uh with what he had to say about that, I know they're necessary sometimes, but uh, I get a little tired of every single thing being reviewed. I think it takes away from the entertainment uh, value of the product a little too much, in my opinion. Yeah, it's so true. Like, you know, I, I think when I used to be a uh, want more replay kind of guy, <laughs> and I've since changed my mind, even being a big, big soccer fan has definitely changed that. But, it, you know, I just don't want the egregious call to get missed. I don't need, like, you know, the millimeters offside in, like, going at 130 miles an hour. Like, that didn't really affect the play to my eye too much. So I don't, I don't need to, to really go back and take 10 minutes looking at that one. Right. Well, what drives me nuts about the offsides challenge is, you know, how many times every game is a play blown dead for being offsides when it wasn't offsides. Right. So it's it's not a perfect science. It really isn't. And I, I can understand uh, McDavid's frustration. I know a lot of the uh, Penguins have very similar feelings in my conversations. <laughs> yeah, I think you get that kind of sense nowadays, too, when you talk to players around the leagues and fatigue around uh, how this entire process is ongoing. Now, as far as a team you cover most closely, obviously, the Pittsburgh Penguins and and how they've fared so far this season, uh, safe to say it's been a, a bit of a, a bit of an up and down journey so far. Uh, where do you think they're trending towards at the midway point of the season now? Uh, yeah, it really wasn't a <clears throat> particularly good start for the Penguins. They are playing their best hockey of the season right now, however. Uh, very interesting. It was about a month ago when Kyle Dubas held kind of an impromptu press conference to just talk about the state of the team. And he basically was asked, you know, are you going to be a buyer or a seller in the next couple of months? And he said, I don't know. He, he said, that's up to the team. And he said, I'll, he said, come back to me at the All-Star break and we'll talk. And at that point, there were 20 games until the All-Star break. And in the first 13 of those 20 games, the Penguins are 9-3-1. And they are playing by far their best hockey of the season. 
Uh, it has it's been a strange season for the Penguins. Uh, their strengths have been goaltending and penalty killing. Um, their biggest weakness has been their power play, which seems absolutely outrageous given that they have four Hall of Famers on their power play. Um, it, it's really been a struggle with the man advantage, but I think slowly but surely uh, the Penguins are rounded into form. And I, I think if they keep playing at their current level, they'll be a playoff team. But they are still certainly a team with some flaws. Has uh, my biggest question really is: has, has Eric Carlson's addition had the desired effect? Oh boy, no, not quite. I don't think. Um, boy, uh, lots of people will give you lots of different answers. Uh, his analytics are off the charts; they always are. But I can tell you, in the last month. He's had a lot of bad games, uh, and I, I know he's aggressive, and he will take chances. Trust me, I've covered Crystal Tang for 15 years, so I, <laughs> I understand that offensive defensemen tend to turn over the puck on occasion, and that stuff happens. That's fine. But Carlson, just his decision-making at times is just puzzling. Like, he, he just he drives you nuts some games. He hasn't been all that good on the power play. Um, and he, you know, he, but he, that said, he's still Eric Carlson. I mean, even in what feels like an off season, he's still on pace for 60 points, which isn't so bad. Um, but to answer your question, no, I don't think he's had the desired effect. I think he's been okay. He hasn't been a disaster, but I think the Penguins feel like there's, there's a gear that he has not reached yet. How is Sidney Crosby doing what he's doing at the age of 36? Well, and, and I want you to know, um, and I know, People in Vancouver, big hockey fans, so I'm sure they watch the Crosby play a lot. But if you haven't seen him play much this year, you see the numbers. The numbers are very good. I assure you, he has played much better than his numbers even indicate. He has been unbelievable. I think it's the best he's played, the highest level of hockey he's played uh, since the Penguins' back-to-back cup years in 16 and 17. He's just been incredible. Um, he leads the league in face-offs taken and face-offs won. He's winning 60% of his draws. He, he's on pace to score almost 50 goals um, at age 36 when he's still, you know, playing heavy minutes and logging all the defensive responsibilities. Um, he's obviously in incredible condition. He always has been. With Crosby, though, I, I really get the sense, in fact, I asked him about it a few weeks ago, and he said, you know, I still just love this game. And that sounds like a simple thing, but I don't think his enthusiasm for the game has ever gone away at all. I, I just, I, and he told me, he said, I still, there's nothing I love more than waking up in the morning and going to the rink. He just still has that desire to play the game every day. And um, a lot of times when guys hit their mid to late thirties, that starts to go away um, with him. It just never has and the energy level that he has right now. I mean, he, he looks like he's 26. He, he really does. He's, It'll be a fun matchup against the Canucks tomorrow, but I, you will notice how sharp and how full of energy he is. He's just playing out of his mind right now. I know uh, you, you just posted your latest at The Athletic, and it's an interview with Canucks president uh, Jim Rutherford, and he was uh, sort of uh, telling you how much he admires Sidney Crosby still. And you know, one of the things um, him and Patrick Alvin, who both came over from from the Penguins, mentioned when they first got here was the practice habits need to get better. And it feels like maybe uh, having to watch and, and work with Sidney Crosby for as many years as they did and going to another organization and being like, hey, this is not how we practiced around Sidney Crosby, maybe had something to do with that. Oh, I believe it. Um, we mentioned Crosby's 36, and 
he is still one of the last people off the ice every single day. <clears throat> we always, you know, hang around locker rooms doing our interviews. And so, yeah, we're still, uh, he's still on the ice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 20 minutes later, and he walks uh, from, from another workout. Um, and, and, boy, I've had so many conversations with Rick Tockett about Sidney Crosby. And I, I know how much Rick and Jim both admire him. And, I, you know, you always want to emulate him because he, he – I always say Crosby, he's just – he's like the perfect human being on and off the ice. Like, he really is. Mm-hmm. Like, his work habits, the the, the captain that he is, uh, you, you can learn so much, I think, just from being around him. And Rick Tockett told me, you know, he said, hey, I played with Mario and I'm close with Gretzky. I know all these guys. But he said being around Sid for years, like, he grew an appreciation for the leader that Sid was. And, and I think he learned a lot from him. I'm just dealing with him daily, and it's probably helping the Canucks today, believe it or not, because of all that Tockett believed, and and I believe that he has instilled probably into the Canucks from being around somebody like Crosby. I you know, I, I just mm-hmm. cannot say enough about the guy and you know the way he lives his life, the way he plays the game, um, and and Tockett has told me many times. He said we talk about statistics and numbers in this sport he said Sid could have a hundred more goals in his career if he wanted to cheat the game the way certain players have over the years but he just won't do it he he plays the game the right way puts defense first and that's exactly what you want your players to emulate yeah, he's he's such a great example, and I mean, he's one of those players that you know, not that he mentions Crosby all the time, but he, but it does come up from time to time when, when you talk to Rutherford, especially when you have interviews about Penguins and, and the process that uh, a guy like Crosby demands as the captain of the team. And you know, you had a front row seat to watching Jim Rutherford work or, over some cup contending years and him being aggressive trying to improve the team. Uh, what would your advice be to Canucks fans watching uh, Rutherford be the president of a team that's a contender here uh, heading into the trade deadline? Well, I, I, I still I know Jim's not the GM, but right. I I know how much power he has. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, listen, Jim's. I don't know exactly what Canucks fans think their needs are or what Jim thinks their needs are at the deadline, but they'll be aggressive. You know they will. Jim Rutherford, um, boy, Jim's not really a patient guy, and I mean that as a compliment. Uh, Jim wants to win, and Jim's about championships, and he knows what it takes. He's done it three times in his career. Um, Not every trade works, but more times than not for him they have. And I, when he took that job, I remember thinking to myself, wow, what a fascinating spot because I know the Canucks have talent, but, and I know that market is just so eager for a champion. And for Jim to go there at the end of his career, I thought, man, that, that's going to be fascinating because he can be a polarizing figure um, because of all the moves he makes. He made 48 trades in his first 48 months as Penguins general manager. <laughs> he literally averaged a trade per month. That's uh, why well, we always called him Trader Jim, um, but he knows what he's doing. And I, I think the staff he has assembled there, the coaching staff, the front office, everything, I don't know that there's a better one in the National Hockey League. And I, I really think Canucks fans should feel good about that because I think they're in very good hands. Yeah, I mean, uh, the way Rick Tockett has turned this team around in the almost 12 months that he's he's been on the job and Having Sergei Gonchar has, has been, uh, you know, all you hear is about how these players uh, just constantly are uh, praising the, the the coaching staff and the communication that they've brought. It's, uh, I think it, it's what sort of separates the better teams in the league uh, from uh, other ones and maybe what Vancouver hadn't had since 
uh, until Jim Rutherford came in is you, you build a program and you build something that you believe in and, and start to build an identity from the top. And you know, that's what Pittsburgh's had for so many years around Sidney Crosby. And it, it feels like the Canucks have, have finally start to started to build that uh, around Jim Rutherford. But you know, it, it just, you kind of see that around the league, don't you, Josh, where, you know, the, how are the Bruins able to stay as good as they have for so long, despite all the players coming in and out, you know, it's just, Teams stick to who they are, and, and you know they they operate better than others do. No, there's no question. You need that structure, culture, whatever you want to call it. In Pittsburgh, very simply, I think it is does start and end with Crosby. Yeah, um, he, he's just that kind of a powerful figure in the sport. Um, but Jim Rutherford, he, he's no dummy. He knows what it takes. He, he's you know won championships in multiple markets, and just the people he has surrounded himself with. Like you mentioned Sergey Gonchar's name. I can't tell you how many Penguins defensemen over the years have told me that their career was positively impacted by Sergey Gonchar and just how great of a coach he is. In fact, I, I host a radio show here in Pittsburgh, I.D. and Cole, on the show a couple of hours ago, and you know, he was talking about Gonchar and, and how great he has been for him. And he was one of the guys back in the cup years in 16 and 17 would just praise Gonchar daily. I mean, so from Chris Letang to Justin Schultz, uh, you name it, people who work with Gonchar will tell you he made them better. So I think Rutherford took all that knowledge that he had. Uh, he, he knows who the great coaches in the game are mm-hmm. and who the great thinkers in the game are, and he, he brought a lot of them uh, with him to the Pacific Northwest. And I, I don't think the Canucks are some you know one-hit wonder. I, I think they have a lot of talent, and I also mm-hmm. think – they have a lot of people in that organization who know what they're doing, and uh, my suspicion is that they're going to be a good team for a really long time. Well, when teams are good, a lot of uh, things have to come together at a lot of different levels, and, and it certainly seems like they're hitting on all those notes right now. Uh, one thing that I did want to ask you about, the, uh, circling back to the Penguins, uh, Penguins is a player who's been talked a lot about in terms of rumors from fans and and, and people from uh, covering different uh, teams <laughs> around the league like us here, and Jake Gensel's name comes up because he's a UFA at the of the season uh, what's your sense of his situation with the team and it, it, could we be at a situation at the deadline where they may may actually consider moving him oh well, the Gensel situation is really interesting um for those who don't know he is an unrestricted free agent this summer uh, he's 29 years old great player um I, somewhere on the league might view jake as an extension of crosby but i, I don't think that's fair I just think Jake Gensel is just a heck of a player. He, he's you know, going to score you 40 goals and 85 points every year. It's just who he is. Um, Jake wants to stay in Pittsburgh. I, I know that for a fact. He likes it here. He loves playing with Crosby. He wants to stay, but he also wants paid. He's been a little underpaid at $6 million the last few years. And, you know, he sees Nylander getting $11.5 million. If you look at their numbers over the years, you can make an argument Gensel should be making just as much money. Um, now, would it take that much to sign him? No, I don't think so. But it's going to take a lot. Uh, the Penguins haven't really engaged in contract talks with him yet. And I think the one problem with Jake, you know, he's going to be 30 in October, and he's a little guy. I don't know what he really weighs. He must be 5'10 and 165 pounds. So he's he's that small. And you wonder how he will play into his 30s, if his body will start to break down he is not a perimeter player. He goes to the net. He takes a beating. 
Um, it's fair to wonder at 34 how good of a player he's going to be, but somebody's going to pay him this summer, whether it's the Penguins or not. So if the Penguins really hit a nosedive here and drop out of playoff contention, if they're 10 points out of a playoff spot when the trade deadline comes, and I don't think that'll happen, but if they are, yeah, I, I could see Gensel being traded. I think that's very much in play. So long as they are a playoff contender, I would be surprised. And I assure you the captain of the Pittsburgh Penguins would not be very happy if Gensel traded. It's the, the best line mate he's ever had. Uh, just before we let you go, Josh, you mentioned uh, you, you recently spoke with uh, Ian Cole in the last couple of hours. Is is he not one of the best quotes you've you've ever had in and around the game? Because he has been here in Vancouver for us. <coughs> oh, I, I actually told him, I said, Ian, you know, he said, you miss me. I can tell. I said, I really do. <laughs> uh, I said, you know, we have all these boring guys to deal with in Pittsburgh. They're nice guys, but they're not quotable like you are, pal. I mean, he, he's one of my all-time favorites, one of the great uh, characters in the game. And he's also a pretty darn solid defenseman. Um, everybody in Pittsburgh misses him. I, quick story, I know you got to run, but he was uh, and he was traded by 2018 in the Derek Broussard deal, which did not work out for Jim Rutherford. Uh, Cole was actually having lunch with Sidney Crosby at the time of the trade in Raleigh. And he, we were talking about it today. He was just devastated. He never wanted to leave. Uh, very uh, beloved in that locker room in Pittsburgh. Uh, and they, they never really replaced him. They, they've missed him quite a bit. So uh, one of my all-time favorites, no question. Uh, Josh, we appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this. Oh, my pleasure. There is uh, Josh Yohe, Penguins beat writer for The Athletic, and his latest uh, features a conversation with Canucks president and former Pittsburgh Penguins GM, Jim Rutherford. Uh, Ian Cole, definitely uh, and easily one of the best quotes we've had here in Vancouver in a lot of years. Yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, great guy to talk to. And, and also, uh, he's been a great addition to the team in terms of leadership, but also yeah. bringing that, that kind of... Um, even keel personality and perspective they've needed. And the team has really taken on that type of identity this year, you know, not getting too high, not getting too low. I mean, they, they look to part and they act apart right yeah. now. And having players like Ian Cole certainly has, has helped bring that along. He mentions Jake Gensel, right? We asked him about Jake Gensel. This is the thing about uh, the, the trade rumors and trade target discussions. What's the chance that he's even available yeah. For all this discussion and, and all these people asking, we have tons of questions and comments in our text inbox we'll get to, but all, for all the talk around a guy like him, is he even going to be available? It's uh, really dependent on where the Penguins end up in the next little while. Uh, they've played 39 games. They have 44 points. And while that doesn't seem so bad, it has them second last in the Metro division. Now, they're two points from a top three spot, but yeah. um, there's a lot of teams that are sort of fighting in that range in the Eastern Conference. And so it might not be by the All-Star break the teams make their decision on what mm -hmm. they want to do for the year. And if Jim Rutherford carries a trend of what he's done as a GM in the past of getting his work done early, maybe Jake Gensel isn't yet available yeah. when we get to the NHL All-Star break. Yeah, and you know what's fascinating about this point in the season is who can become available. What we know is some of the UFAs, right? Like we know Lindholm probably is not re-signing in Calgary with how things are going in Calgary and Jeremy Langley says Lindholm or Henrique, what say you? Like which one which one of those guys? I mean, I'd rather have Lindholm, but is the price of getting Henrique cheaper, but how much cheaper? I like Lin I actually like Henrique quite a bit as a player. Um and is 
the price uh, smaller that like is the decrease in price worth the rental more so than uh, than Lindholm? And yeah, I, like Henrique, I, I, I would I, say yes. Like I, I, I really like Henrik. I know I might be on an island on that front, though. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you're on, on an island. I mean, he has some experience. Um, he, he was on the Devils Cup run team when they lost in the Cup Final in 2012. Has a little bit of playoff experience. I mean, he's only been in the playoffs twice. It was that year and then once in, I think, uh, with, with the Anaheim Ducks in 2018. Yep. And that's it. Uh, hasn't really tasted postseason action since then. But has always kind of been a decent second-line center, maybe a third-line center and a good team but can give you some depth can do some different things for you the cost is not going to be exorbitant like no. it's probably not even going to be a first no i can i can stomach rentals without giving up your first like i can't i don't love giving up some of the draft capital in the future but i can live with it if you're not trading a first round pick away and would i rather do that than pay the first and whatever it's going to cost to get lindholm for a rental yes yeah that's that's where my mind would be on a lindholm versus henrique conversation as well, some others are uh, jumping in on uh, the Jake Gensel discussion. Gensel is that small? Do the Canucks need another Garland? That's from uh, Terry. A different player than Garland. I mean, he he won Stanley Cups. Yeah, with the Penguins. It's not like he hasn't had success with the Penguins. He's had a lot of playoff success. Yes, as well for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like Jake Gensel's a really good player. Does the size though instruct what Jim Rutherford and Patrick? Patrick Alvine might be looking for because they have wanted more size on this team. Yeah. I'm not sure he's the exact fit, but he's one of those guys like if Kuzmenko's not going to work and minor Madden Abbotsford is asking us about Kuzmenko and essentially saying in terms of his value, where is it between a can of spam and a tenderloin? I'd say like he's ground beef. Right now, right? You know, it's not the, at the bottom. It's it's decent. It's solid. He's but not a can of spam. He's not a can of spam. I don't think he's a can of spam. But definitely not a tenderloin. And I wouldn't go as far as saying, you know, even a lower cut of steak. So I'll say ground beef. Yeah. Okay. It's versatile, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I can do, you know, to some extent. You can make a nice bolognese with it. You can, you can get something out of it. Maybe it, make some uh, ground beef tacos. I don't know. Yeah. You can do something out of it, right? Yeah. You can do something with it. And that's where... If, if you're moving out of Kuzmenko eventually, then there's space for a Gensel type, a goal-scoring winger, right? But ultimately, like, you do want to have somebody that can do some different things in terms of size, too, and, and a bit more straight-ahead play, uh, and some more positional versatility that can play center as well. Um, because you want to have that flexibility. To me, it's if you have a guy who can play center and wing... If one of your centers gets hurt, he can do that. And if, yeah. like, you know, as JT gets older, does he end up playing winger more often, right? And at Pedersen, you want to get him going? You want to throw him on the wing every once in a while? You know what I mean? Like, I'd really like to add somebody who can play center as being the big piece and somebody that you, you can have here long term. Uh, I'm curious as to who might be available. Like, there's got to be some names that haven't yet really shaken loose because we are still a couple of months away from the deadline. Yeah, and we'll probably hear and see some stuff. And, and I mean, as we saw with the Heronic one, and Heronics is somebody who, you know, whose name had been mentioned from time to time in terms of coming up in discussions, but nothing that was brought anybody's front or back burner at all in terms of being a trade target, especially with how well he played last year. Then out of nowhere, the Canucks acquired him, right? Like, is there something like that that could happen? Yeah. Certainly. I see people texting about Lawson Krause. I just don't think Arizona's giving him up. Mm-hmm. And... Reinhardt, I like Reinhardt, but I don't think Florida's giving him up either. I think they'd rather make a run with him and lose him in free agency than trade him at the deadline. And there's a lot of people that just think Reinhardt's going to sign in Florida. You know, uh, what we've seen with Tampa in the past is 
you know, they have guys that might be worth 11 million on the, on the market, but they end up signing for nine and a half or so in, in Tampa to stay in Tampa and Florida and the no tax state. So that might help them to some level. Uh, but could a uh, Casey Middlestat be a name? Could Nick Schmaltz be a name? Are there names right now that we're not hearing a ton because the trade market just hasn't yet fully developed? I think that is more what I'm interested in because yeah. right now I'm not seeing a lot of names that move the needle for me. And that's where the discussion is going to end up. All right, coming up, we close out the show with a Wednesday edition of Overrated or Underrated. That's next on Canuck Central.